And thank you very much to Alex Pye for taking us through the mornings. If you want to listen back to the show on demand, you always have all three hours sitting right there for your perusal. And you can see whatever she's played. It's always listed on the programs and playlist section on FBI Radio's website. And uh, today on Out of the Box, I'm actually very excited about the guest. Well, I'm always excited, but like I'm exceptionally excited because I'm a big, silly, uncool fan. Um, so we don't often think about the high cultural roots of the music we listen to, but my guest on Out of the Box today does all the time. Craig Shifton is an historian, but he's one that hears My Chemical Romance and recalls a romantic movement or listens to Beck and hears echoes of Dada. He's given talks on music history, philosophy and pop culture in Australia and overseas. It all started in 2001 when Craig presented The Culture Club on Triple J and since then he's fit in a few awesome books, including Hey, Nietzsche, Leave Them Kids Alone. And uh, he's made some sweet tunes and basically just become an all-round cool dude. So, Craig, welcome to FBI. And I've noticed that your uh, your playlist is sorely missing in emo music, considering that you wrote that book that is kind of linking, you know, listening to emo music and rock and looking at the romantic roots. No emo here. I'm still I'm still slightly ashamed. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? It's, it's, still, it's still like it's such an uncool music, music genre, you know. Um, yeah. So, but. Uh, but I guess that's the, that's that's the, that was the point of the the point of the book was to was to talk about you know why that kind of emotionalism is so appealing to us but also a little bit uncool and, and <laughs> so so I guess it's, so I guess it's fitting but you're right it's uh, there's 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 no there's no Mike M on this on, on this playlist although you you, you best believe I'll be listening to it <laughs> there's also no mic action as well at the yeah, moment I've realised so yeah, what we'll do is we'll go to your first song and then when we come back we'll be talking a little bit about why you picked that one and uh, in the meantime I'm going to get my technical know-how on which is incredibly limited. You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI. My guest today is Craig Shifton. We'll be back in a second. Living it up, living it up, oh. 
on a song about Friday night. It's never the wrong day. It's <laughs> never the wrong day for, for Friday night, living it up Friday night by, by Bell and James. Wrong day for disco. Never. I but know. I mean, you've got you've got a new thing happening, yeah. which is you basically teaching people about the philosophy of disco. Uh, should we just spoil the whole thing and say what the philosophy of disco is now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> that way you can just stay home and listen listen to listen to disco disco records. You don't have to come to the talk. Yeah, yeah but why, why did you want to do something like this? Lecture, which is the philosophy of disco, featuring actual disco. Actual disco music. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you know, I'll, I'll tell you how it started. Actually, there's a there's a there's a classic hits station in in Sydney that was a few years back. It was running this promo that said, you know, it was like a like a promo that told you that informed you of the kind of hits that they played, and and it had you know it had one of those great sort of you know gravelly deep voiceovers that kind of kind of like yours. Oh, no, better than that. It was like <laughs> you know there are songs to make you think, you know, and then there'd be like like they play a little bit of Pink Floyd and Mike and the Mechanics and stuff like that, and then the and then the next part of the promo, the, the guy said, and there are songs to make you forget. Get your troubles, and then the, and then and then they play like a bit of Donna Summer, hot stuff, and you know some Doobie Brothers and things like that. And so I, many troubles, though. What? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think if you know, it doesn't matter how many troubles you have. That's those, those songs would probably probably get rid of them. But but it, you know, but I, but it did it did make me think that I thought you know what that's kind of those are the categories that a lot of people use for music. They're kind of categories in my head. You know that mm. there's on the one hand there's like serious musical art, which is meant to make you sort of contemplate the suffering of the world and your place in it and all that kind of thing. And then on the other hand, there's like you know, there's escapist music, which we understand is like is is necessary on some level, but we're not meant to take it as seriously. Yeah. So you the know. two genres engage and escape. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Like it's like it's kind of a you know, it's really an argument about a passive versus active mode of listening. You know, which is which is kind of I know I know that's probably not what they were thinking of when they wrote that promo at the at the, at the classic hit station, but that's really <laughs> what it is. You know, and 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 I've been reading at the time a whole lot of stuff about about the history of of Western art and Western art music, where that argument goes way way back. You know, it's it's an argument that goes back to religious painting. You know, the idea that that art's job is to kind of instruct you in a spiritual sense, or you know, like like um, to t- to tell you how to live essentially. You know, and that it's that it's that in looking at it or listening to it, we're meant to think about our place in the universe, and we and we're meant to learn something about how to you know how to um how we ought to exist in it. And and then on the other hand, you know, all, all the way through that history, there's this other thing. You know, there's there's folk music and there's entertainment and there's things that people do just for fun. You know, and and they've always been somewhat set separate categories but they kind of but they do overlap here and there you know and people from people who make the one kind of art indulge a little bit in the other one and there's, there's this little bit of crossover so it's pop high culture yeah it's kind of it's kind of you know it's become that like in our in our world that's the form that it takes in the in the age of, of mass culture since the 20th century that's kind of you know pushed the debate into into a sort of hotter realm is that it, it seems to become more important because there's so many people who seem to dis- desire escapism you know and 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 so much money is made out of out of kind of um, out of pushing it and then on the other hand, you know, even even people who like that stuff, we also have this idea that that you know that that art ought to be good for us, but we're not sure exactly why. You know, when we listen to serious music, we sort of, we sort of are looking for answers. You know, um, and I, I, you know, I've noticed that in in arguments, you know, the, the the kind of arguments that music fans have, especially in the world of indie music, these two categories are very live. You know, like like we, we, that's still a way to kind, of, to kind of distinguish music that ought to be taken seriously from music music that isn't. The word escapism is is bandied about quite a lot still, um, and I just thought disco was a good test case you know i think because that's you know the or these arguments kind of um you know this this the the they were people argued about this stuff a lot when disco first appeared because it was such obviously escapist music you know and okay so that's what make dis- makes disco such a good Example. I think so. Yeah, it made you know it, it, it made this it made that debate very like in, very heated. You know there was the the, the the there was this whole sort of movement about you know why disco sucks and you know it's very 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 heavily heavily criticised as a genre. So yeah, so the reason I wrote the lecture was to kind of use disco as a kind of test case for this argument to look at the historical roots of the of, of the conversation and also to look at the way it plays itself out in our in our daily listening life. So is it actually all about forgetting your woes, disco, or is there kind of a, a very serious history there? Is there can you see the high culture in disco? or the, the more philosophical side of it. That's the thing. I mean, the you know, the argument, the claim itself doesn't really hold up to scrutiny because because actually, you know, uh, 
a, lo- a lot of a lot of disco music evolved out of soul music, and it evolved evolved out of soul music at a time when soul was really engaging with you know with contemporary problems and, and suffering and you know political and social issues and all those kind of things. So that stuff is absolutely in there if you you know if if you look for it. Sometimes you don't have to look too hard. It's you know sometimes it's it's veiled a little bit through metaphor and, and illusion as it is in the work of um of groups like Chic. But yeah, you know the 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 idea that you know that if, if you know if you're looking for the contemplation of suffering. It is there in disco, you know, if you if, if you if you if you care to look for it. Um, but then, you know, but then it's it, it's true that it is that it is marvelous music for for, for not thinking about that stuff too. You know, that's, having that's, a boogie. Yeah, yeah, that's, right. that's, that, that's that's right. But then that might be you know that might be good for us too. That's you know that's that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the other side of this. Well, in that case, we can do a little bit of that right now because we've got a track in here from the gossip. Yes, legendary Beth Ditto. Mm. Why this one? Why did you want to bring this in? This, I think, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time, as you said before, sort of connecting um, uh, historical stories and, you know, thing, things about the, the development of high culture and philosophy and literature and things like that through the 19th and 20th century to contemporary music and, and contemporary culture. That was my job. Well, it still is my job for, you know, to, to, to some extent. And... You know, and I guess I just I picked this one because I remember it as a you know I remember it as a bit of a a bit of a light bulb moment because I had been reading about the about the Romantic movement you know, and and you know if you could if you could sort of if you could put Romantic philosophy into a into a nutshell you know this was kind of a moment where where a lot of people like philosophers and intellectuals and artists and poets lost their faith in the idea of, of reason you know in the in, in the idea that 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 uh, a rational approach to the world will help to make a make a better world you know um so it was the end of that 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 strand of enlightenment philosophy they you know they they wanted something to believe in but but they they didn't really find anything that they could believe in in the world as it, as it, as it was in the 19th century you know in a sense like i think if they could have gone back to the middle ages to the world to a, a, a europe where people could sort of sustain themselves by simple faith then they would have they longed for that but they you know but it wasn't really wasn't really available to any to them anymore because they can't go back so they we're looking for other things to believe in and you know and and that took a lot of different forms in the romantics work you can find the idea of belief in nature you know as, a, as the sort of soul of the world which is still you know a lot of people still still believe in that you find you know belief in um belief in the self you know but that gets and, and again that's still very popular but that that also gets very lonely you know and so that's why <laughs> that's why that's why the you know the, a lot of romantic art and romantic philosophy tends toward the spiritualization of love because you know because you can't rely on yourself totally you, you become lonely and eventually you go mad a lot of you know uh, what what tends to happen is that you look for meaning in another human being and then you go mad and then you go mad yeah because that doesn't really work either you know? <laughs> i don't mean to be cynical but so it's, you're saying that all is lost like yeah. everything, everything it's all bad it's all bad, all bad news bad. yeah it's i mean and that's the thing you know i remember kind of explaining that idea to a friend a colleague of mine at the time and, and he was like wow what a terrible idea I'm like, it really is you know but it is a terrible idea and yet it's everywhere you know that that very week i remember hearing this song on the radio and going well that is like this song you know expresses that idea much much better than i did just then you know it, take, it, it took it took me five and this one goes for for three and you, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll you'll understand exactly what romantic exactly. philosophy is all about and you'll enjoy all three of them Gossip on FBI 94.5. Listen out of the box with Craig Shifton as my guest today.
roll call going on at the end of this song it's a it's it's like you know what i what i like about this song hot topic by latigra is that it's it's a great song and a recommended reading list you know it's <laughs> it's like it's homework Have and, you and a good time yeah of course of oh, course because that's a that's delightful. a that's a good list so what are, what are some of the people they're naming why would they pick that exact 
list of people. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a fascinating and diverse list of people. You know, she you probably heard that she mentions Nina Simone in there and the band the the punk punk group the Slits, um, and also Yoko Ono. And Carolee Schneeman, who is a, who's, you know one of the, the pioneers of performance art in America in the in in, in the nineteen sixties. Ut is another 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 band that gets that gets na- name checked. A whole bunch of fascinating people, you know, writers and and singers and performance artists and painters and yeah, um, you know. And I I guess one of the things I like about that song is that it's a it's a it's a really good example of the way that 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 music artists use history you know, or, or the way they interpret history, which I think is really important in, in, you know, in, in music culture. Because, you know, and the, really the roots of this song, I think, go back to, to Kathleen Hanna, the singer's beginnings in, in the Riot Girl movement, you know, in the, in the very early, late so 80s. So for people very who haven't 90s. heard about the Riot Girl movement? Yeah, yeah. Riot, Riot Girl was a, was a reaction to, to sexist hegemony in, in punk music, basically. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it was part of a, a shared realisation, I would say, on the part of, of people like Kathleen Hanna and contemporaries of hers that... You know, I mean, they, they these were people who sort of were educated at American universities and colleges in the late '80s and early '90s in a pretty, a pretty liberal, like left liberal environment. You know, they they mm-hmm. would have learned as a matter of course in whatever they were studying about feminism and about you know about um about social justice and, and also about postmodernism and the idea of multiple narratives and you know all, all all kinds of things. You know, they so and and then and then this curious thing happens where you know they're kind of they're at university and they're learning about all these things, but then they're also kind of getting involved in underground culture and rock subculture. Which at that time, for a lot of these people, meant punk and hardcore music because mm-hmm. that's kind of where you went if you were if, if you were different and you thought differently. And um, yeah, and, and a lot of them, uh, you know, a lot of these people were faced with this really shocking realization, which was that that you know the underground, which was supposedly radical, yeah, yeah, an alternative, yeah, yeah, was was actually far more conservative than the than than the stuff they were being taught at, at university. You know, it's almost like like the the situation of the 1950s had been reversed. You know, where it used to be that school was went you where you went to learn the rules and rock and roll was where you went to break them. This is almost like like the other way around. You know. Know, like the, in, at, at, at university, you've got this really fascinating, eye-opening, liberal interpretation of culture and history and postmodernism and all those kind of things. And then you find yourself in this rock subculture, which has sexual mores, which are basically stranded in the 1950s, you know. <laughs> And and so you know and part of the the reason why that happened and actually Liz Fair you know she wasn't really part of the Riot Girl movement but she's she's spoken and written extensively about this you know she faced a similar situation in the the underground scene of Chicago was that 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 rock history was used as a, a weapon against women you know like a like a way of telling them why they couldn't be in bands and why they couldn't rock you know because she you know she said that she started making music and and you know and 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 it was it was always just implied that she wouldn't be able to do it or she wouldn't be able to do it as well as men That's and the, yeah and and the way that was the way that idea was reinforced was by lists you know like the like people were that is happening so much at the moment. It's ridiculous. I mean, you know, even look at looking at the listen movement. We had Evelyn Morris from Pikelet on the show a while ago, okay. and she's you know not- noticing you know the different amounts of you know amounts of women in certain movements, and you know then a book comes out called Nose in My Head, which is looking at the you know Australian underground, and it's ex- almost ex- exterminating most of the female voices in the underground and being like, look at all the great dudes. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's through rewriting history, like so through this song from La Tigra, they're kind of giving you a great a great feminine history and like lots of artists and readers and, and writers that you should look at. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when making the, a list. When making lists, you know, mm-hmm. and the and the, the early riot girl zines are full of lists, you know, and the and the purpose of those was explicit. It's like, you know, you, all kinds of people are gonna say to you that, you know, women can't be geniuses in rock music or they can't make classic albums because look at the list, you know, look who's in the like the, the top fifty albums yeah. of all time in Rolling Stone. It's, yeah, she's not one of the greats though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's two there's two women in there and so, you know, and so yeah. people will use that as a kind of a weapon. They'll say, mm-hmm. well, you know, how how many how many women have made classic albums exactly but then, and it's also but then, a deterrent right. from other people you know it's kind of you know when you look at a, a lineup of people at a festival and you see maybe two women on the lineup of 80 or something like that yeah. you go as a, as a girl, you go, oh, maybe it's not possible for me to go into music. Maybe I should probably redirect my efforts. <laughs> right, right. And so that's why, you know, that's why why um, Kathleen Hanna and Toby Vale, when they when they, they started, you know, when they started the movement and wrote those early zines, they were full of lists, though. And the lists were, you know, the point of the list was to say there's, there is a whole history, like a submerged history of incredible music, you know, in within the genre of rock and outside of it by women. You just don't read about it in Rolling Stone. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not, not widely circulated or known about. But, you know, but that's, yeah. Considering that, do you think it's a good idea to put on Hole as our next artist to listen to? Yeah, we should do that because because actually this is this is about history too, but in a, from a slightly different point of view and with a slightly different purpose. Let's do that. Malibu by Hole from 1999. <laughs>
You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI 94.5. My name is Ash Berdebez and my guest on the show today is Craig Shufton, who is a music historian, philosopher type. And he bought that track on and it, we just ended up playing it at just the right time because it was La Tigra, who's very, you know, right girl, and then Hole. But mm. they don't really agree with each other, do they? Well, there's a, there's a, you know, we were talking a little before about, about Kathleen Hanna, who's the singer in, in Bikini Kill and also La Tigra, and her her way of dealing with rock history, you know, which which in, in some ways was to rewrite it, you know, like to 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 take the canon as it was accepted, you know, the, the, the list of Beatles, Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. Elvis, Sex Pistols, you know, which is mostly, mostly a list of men, and create an alternative one, which also implied an alternative standard for, for women in music. You know, it kind of said people are always going to be comparing you to these artists, to, to George Harrison on the guitar or to Jimi Hendrix or something like that, maybe that's that's a standard that ought not to apply to women in music. Maybe we're trying to do something different and maybe women's expression is different, you know. Mm-hmm. So, is it, so it was, and, you know, and that's one of the reasons why Riot Girl sounded so shocking and so different when it first appeared because it was not, you know, it was not produced or played in the way that, that, that you know, that, 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 um, that the rock establishment or that rock critics were, were prepared to hear, you know, but that was part of the idea. It said we're, we're making a separate space, you know, your, your rules don't apply. Courtney Love, you know, I think she when I, when I was writing my, my last book, Entertain Us, I came across a really interesting quote from her about Riot Girl. She said that, you know, she she is on record as, as, as saying that she thought a lot of the music that, that Riot Girl bands made was terrible. And and she, the reason she thought that was was precisely because they rejected the canon. You know, she said, and I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 this quote might be a little bit, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she said something like, you know, you know, the problem with Riot Girl is that those bands are always saying, oh, you know, we're, we're not going to follow your male measured idea of what good is. And, you know, Courtney says, you know, look, good is good is Led Zeppelin 4. That's good, you know. So she's kind of, a, she was kind of a classicist, like, like you know, in a weird sort of way. And it's very consistent with the rest of her personality and the rest of her story as an artist. She's extraordinarily competitive, you know, with, with everyone and, and especially with men, with, 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 with the men in her life and also men in, men in music. You know, she didn't want to, she didn't want to kind of go and create a separate space for her expression. She wanted to beat so, Nirvana yeah. and Mudhoney and, and, all the, and all those bands at she their wanted, own game. Yeah, she wanted yeah. to race against the greats rather than being, you know, rejecting them and then creating something different and it's still been good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you know, I like personally, I believe there's a lot to be said for both of those approaches yeah. to history. I think, I think sometimes, yeah, we do have to kind of look at that big list that's held up in front of us and go, you know what? Why are all those people there? Like, who says that that's excellent? Who's made that standard and who judges it? And maybe you just don't need it sometimes. Maybe in order to you know to create something new, you've just got to forget about it. On the other hand, I think you know there's there is also something to be said for occasionally going back to that list. You know, and in literature, it might be Shakespeare and Tolstoy and you know and Milton and all those things. And in, in rock music, it might be the Beatles and, and Elvis. And and whatever else, and yeah, going back to that list and going, you know, what like what can I take from this? Like, is that you know, is there is like I know the tradition is debased, and I know I don't agree with everything, and I know a lot of it kind of you know uh, is it, it doesn't doesn't really speak to me. But then also, it is a tradition. What you know, what what comes of it, and that's why you know that's why that song is so extraordinary because that is Courtney Love kind of taking on and absorbing the classic rock tradition. You know, that's yeah. that's Hole's Hole's attempt on on the legacy of bands like Fleetwood Mac. You know, and and actually, it's it's a pretty good job of it too I think yeah I think that's what I love about your writing in particular is that you kind of point to you know earlier modern art or earlier movements or you know intellectual movements from way back when and then link them to the music that comes after so you know there's kind of still this persistent idea that there is some form of genius and to be a musician there has to be just some sort of spark of genius and everything just pops up out of nowhere and oh my god how original whereas you're very very good at going you know this is inspired by this and this is from this certain lineage and, and yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, you know i every now and then you know i find like i'm talking to someone about about music in general or maybe about what i do you know and and, and they'll say oh you know like like don't don't you find that in, when you when you when you examine it to that extent, like when you when you pick over over the history of music and the making of music and the you know the the, the processes behind it, that it kind of kills some of the magic of the of, yeah. of, 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 of well, the do song. You? Yeah, yeah, of course it does. But but you know, but I but honestly, like if if that's what I'm doing, I'm kind of proud to say that I am. Like like I think, you're a music killer. And you're yeah, proud. I'm killing killing the magic since 2005. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, that's that's what I mean. Because honestly, I think I think if the, you know, it's like we do. There's a reason why we look for that in music. It's kind of connected to what we were talking about before, right? Like the uh, the romantic idea that that we we need a substitute for religion in the modern world. You mm-hmm. know, the thing that religion used to provide people with is gone. What else can we find? For a lot of the romantics, it was art and music. They were very explicit about. Yeah. that you know and for us a lot of the time it is too all part of humans tendency to need to 
find something to worship. Right, exactly. You know, but that's but that's 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 myth. You know, and it's and it's obfuscation. And actually, it's in in our world, it's worse than that. You know, it's it's the myths that are used to sell things to people, like literally things. You know, objects, but but also and lifestyles, but also ideas. ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of them are terrible ideas. You know, so <laughs> so if 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 that's like I guess my point. You know, if I was to say it as simply as possible, it's that if you know if I killed the magic by explain by explaining something in in fifteen minutes, I don't know that the magic was worth very much to to begin with. You know. Thank you, Craig, for killing the magic. Thanks, Ash. You listen to Out of the Box on FBI. (laughs) And we've got a track from Steve Reich to to pour over in a moment. It goes for 15 minutes. We're certainly not going to be able to sit through all of that, so you hear from us in a second. So Steve Reich. Steve Reich, minimalist composer. I like uh, that was a, that was a really good question that, that that you asked me. Speaking of killing the magic, I'm going to repeat an off-air, con- off-air conversation here, um, where Ash asked me, you know, is it okay to fade this down, or is something really dramatic going to happen in a minute? You know, while while, while we're talking, nothing dramatic will happen. It's it's you know that's that's in a way that's kind of the the, the point of this music. You know, when 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 rock artists use it, and they have done, you know, people who make electronic music. A lot of a lot of artists have been very influenced by things like Steve Reich and Philip Glass, which is maybe why you know why even if you haven't heard it, this kind of stuff sounds familiar. But you know, when <laughs> like if an artist like that uses a pattern like this, it will tend to be a lead up to something. You know, like they'll yeah. be like we're waiting for the drums to come in, or we're waiting for the vocal or the, mm-hmm. or, the or the melody or something. Or something the explosion. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that's the part right. Part where the song draws attention to itself. Because because you know because <laughs> rock singers can't sit still for that long. Like yeah. They're, they're, they're without 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 um yeah without expressing their their personality, but um. But yeah, the, the whole point of, mu- of of this kind of music was that it develops very, very gradually. You know, things it do blooms. happen. Yeah, look, listen to that. I mean, that's yeah, that, that's 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 typical. Like, we wouldn't, you know, we, part of the point of minimalism is that it slows perception down a bit. Well, that's what it was, what it was meant to do. Yeah. So that so that a thing like that, which might just pass you by in a, in a, a three-minute pop song or you know, or some some other kind of music, is. When it happens, it's a very big deal because you've gotten used to this fairly static, you know, musical musical world. You know, little little changes, little shifts of rhythm or accent or texture mean much, much more, and we pay much more attention to them when they happen. I think this is the perfect kind of song to listen to on a train. You know, it's got this feeling of motion, of not really necessarily arriving anywhere, but yeah. of being constantly kept in this in this feeling of being moved forward, just slowly in yeah, time. Yeah, a, a gentle <laughs> a gentle glide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny actually when you, and when when you, now that you say that, this actually this is very close musically to a piece of music by Tangerine Dream um, which was used in the movie Risky Business I think with Tom, with Tom Cruise um, it's, it's kind of it, it's used as the soundtrack to, to, to a love scene in that, in, in that film it's called Love on a Real Train and it's you know the, the, the context is it would take too much explaining here but, but it's a good film I would re- recommend you watch it but the yeah but this, this minimalist soundtrack is, is meant to create an atmosphere of, of romance but also of this just as you said like the, the mechanical motion of a train you know sort of a smooth glide across a, across a landscape that's fantastic mm. that's Craig Shifton you were hearing just that you're on Out of the Box on FBI 94.5. My name is Ash Berdebez and we'll hear a little bit more from Steve Reich for a second. Mm-hmm. 
I get the feeling this would be one of those songs that's just fantastic to see live. I, I saw this. I saw this performed in a an old power station in, in near where I live in Berlin, um, and it was it was incredible. You know, like because I think I think that's the other thing is that we, we when we hear patterns like this, these kind of repeating loops. You know, today we tend to associate that with music. You know, music made with machines, like it's you know mm. they're, they're program programmed loops or something like that. And you know, and Reich did use machines when back when he had to. You know, he made some very famous pieces with tape loops, which are which are also also worth listening. So use machines for economic reasons because he couldn't afford all yeah. the people in the, in the yeah, band. Yeah, exactly. Which actually is a lot of, that's that happens more often than not in in pop music too, right? Like yeah. like you know, Daft Punk famously you know made like. They made very very repetitive, but also very exciting disco music using loops from old disco records. Um, but it turned out they were just biding their time until they could afford to actually hire <laughs> Nile Rodgers to come and play play guitar on their album. Oh, as soon as they up. could book Sigma Studios or whatever it was, they they they, they were in there. Yeah, know. yeah. So why did you move to Berlin then? You've been living there for five years, is it now? Five years. Yeah. yeah. I think you know, what, a lot of what I do is 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 um to apply ideas from the history of cultural criticism to to contemporary music and contemporary culture you know much I'm more interesting of, than it sounds in a sentence <laughs> sorry yeah i know that was a little bit there's some some big fat words in there yeah but but i guess i guess you know looking at at the 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 ideas that people have used to to criticize and to talk about mass culture through all the, the 19th and 20th centuries basically yeah, 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 using that. the isms and saying this is why this music is kind of like this now right yeah and and you know the more i did that the more i found that i was sort of gravitating towards germany you know like the that so many of the the ideas that seemed interesting to me, and also the ones that were still kind of resonating and still useful in, in you know in analysing and talking about pop music and, and and rock music, came from Germany and specifically from Berlin. You know. So like, what kind of isms are we talking about that you really you you know kind of liked that yeah, are German? Well, well, you know, I I found myself writing and talking a lot about the Dada movement in like you know Dada was a kind of a, a, an international or at least a, a pan European franchise, but it had a very strong Berlin chapter in the in the in in the 1920s with artists like like George Gross and Hannah Hoch, who were you know the in a way the first artists to interrogate the mass media, the first the first artists to take you know magazines and newspapers and stuff that was kind of you know the the stuff that was printed in the millions and being consumed by everybody every day and cut it up and and make things out of it and use it as a way of kind of talking back to power, you know. And and that's, you know, I mean, that's 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 all there's already so much to say about that, but then there's also people like the philosopher Walter Walter Benjamin who who wrote a lot about the Dadaists and admired them to, to some extent and also wrote quite a bit about the Surrealists. He was also, you know, also lived in Berlin and, and drew a lot of inspiration from the city and wrote very, very perceptively about how how mass culture works and how it affects people and, you know, what they what they do with it or what they what they what they might do with it. All of which is to say that, you know, I, I found myself writing and talking about these people so much. To the extent that you know, I, I almost started to feel like I was, I was. Um, it started to feel a bit weird. You know, I'm always writing and speaking about this place that I'd only spent two weeks in <laughs> once. You yeah. know, you know, I'm, I'm, I need. I just felt like I needed to spend some more. Some, you some felt more like time a fake. <laughs> yeah, to walk. You know, I'd like to, to walk down those streets and you know and and see where those people lived and and you know see. Um, obviously, obviously, the city's very different in a lot of ways now, but in other ways, not so different. So yeah, that's that's the the, the reason for the move. Has has been. You know, living in Germany kind of changed the way you listen to music at all. Yeah, it has. It has because you know, I mean, Berlin is is famously a techno city. You know, and it's and and people and and when people go out to listen to music there, you know, like to dance to to dance, they they do it for much longer. Like, like the, the whole, I mean, things <laughs> they stay got stamina. Out. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. Which you know. Uh, which is partly partly to do with um with Club Mate, which is that do you know that caffeinated soft drink? I that love people... Club Mate. Yeah, yeah. So okay, it's it's caffeinated. I it's... thought it was just some sort of nice tea uh, no, with no, lots it, of sugar in it. No, I don't think. I, sorry, I, I've, I've I've you know it's, I don't think it is actually caffeine. It's Mate is like a this is terrible. I don't know exactly what it is. It's some kind of plant thing, you know, which has a which has a stimulant effect. Yeah, and it's and it's um like better than Red Bull though. Some some combination <laughs> some combination of that and falafel keeps you know keeps Berlin going 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 all night. Um yeah, and and you know and and things stay open later. You know, mm-hmm. like like the clubs clubs are open until midday the next day. You know, and 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 I guess what 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 that means is that that you know the music that people listen to and dance to has a lot more time to develop. You know, people don't expect as many events. I found you know as they, yeah. as, as as they do when they when they go out to dance in in um, certainly in Sydney, and you know, and also it's a you know it's a it's a city that is famous for its its embrace of and also production of techno music, you know, which is which is almost minimal by by definition, you know. So yeah, so I guess my my point is that that in like in going out and listening to music, you know, and and, and hearing the kind of things that people are playing in the, the city that I'm living in, I find that actually you know that's had an effect on me, which is not so different from the effect that Steve Reich was shooting for in the in the piece of music we were just listening to, which is that that I'm you know I'm listening to music in a more uh, how would I say it? V- a more vertical way. You know, I'm, I'm expecting less 
development horizontally. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not always waiting for a story or to be taken somewhere. I, I'm listening in a way where you could sort of almost take a slice out of the music at any point and there would be plenty of interesting stuff going on because I'm listening for texture and, and dynamics. And it sounds, It sounds a little bit like you're listening to music in a more mindful way, in a little bit more of a zen way. I hope I'm being more yeah. mindful. Yeah, I'm actually, <laughs> I find I'm listening to less music, you know, because cause I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of in, enjoying air conditioners and, and fridges and stuff, <laughs> you know. Any any great sounds in your own in your own house in Berlin? Any great buzzes from yeah, the fridge I, or whatever? Yeah, I I, I, um, I I recorded a few of them. Yeah. Actually, this is not this is the, the 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 sounds in this one are not from from my house. They're from from um, Lani Bagley's house. She's the singer in Ducks, which is the the um, the music project that I started you last mean, in January last year. You mean Ducks? Ducks. It's got an exclamation ducks. mark on the end. So, we're so say, if you like, <laughs> if you like to listen to Craig Shifton's band, which is based in Berlin, they're called Ducks. Ducks. Exclamation mark. Go um, on SoundCloud and check it out. And you'll duck, hear them in ducks, a second as well. Make music, yeah. So, so you know, so this, I mean, this project began because I met Lani and I thought she had an amazing voice, you know, and 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 I and I've been thinking about working. You know, I've been making music on and off for the last ten years, but I've been really thinking about about making some music with a singer, and um, yeah, and she just popped into my life at the at, at the right time. And it was, also, it was also just really fun to make music with. You know, like music takes a long time to do. It's really like you have to you have to like the person you you're doing it with, you know, because you're going to end up spending a lot of time in, in little rooms with them. And yeah, and so so you know, just as an experiment just to get started we got together and started recording some sounds in the room like you know door doors and fridges and you know i think there's actually in, in this song there's a um one of those deodorizer sprays is the is the is the hi-hat things like that just just looping them and, and building up sounds with them and this was the this was the first result of that tiny lights
I'm in the studio now at FBI Radio with Craig Shifton, who's the author of Culture Club and Hey, Nietzsche, Leave Them Kids Alone and also entertain us. And he's, you know, a great music history intellectual type. And I'm also now aware that he is the creator, co-creator of that song you just heard then, which is by Ducks. Ducks. <laughs> Ducks. And it's called Tiny Lights. Um, thanks for bringing that one in. Oh, it's a pleasure. And so you you live in Berlin now. You've got all these, you know, feathers in your cap. But you kind of, you know, were at one point a guy walking around Lane Cove during his uh, 10th year of school mm. after he stopped attending. Mm. Uh, mm. Just just not really knowing what just to do. No, no. I was, yeah. really, I was really... Well, I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't, <laughs> want, to, <laughs> I didn't want to go to school anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, uh, it's, it's, it's really weird, you know, like um, when... When when I moved to Germany, I had to kind of prove that I was useful, you know. And mm. and um, is that how you got a citizenship? Is that the idea? no? That's another story. But <laughs> but you know, in the meantime, I had to sort of say, look, I'm a writer, you know, and I'm I'm doing these things, and you know, and I still remember the like the 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 look on the woman's face, and also the feeling that I had when the you know the the person interviewing me said, you know, and what are, what are your academic qualifications, Mr. Shilton? And I was like, oh my god, I've always been terrified that someone would ask me that, you know, because because actually, I mean, I didn't, you know, I I never went to university, and 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 I didn't finish high school, you know, I I I, I left high school halfway through year ten. So before um, the school certificate. Before the school before before. The, Which is next to unheard of, unless you're thinking of doing, you know, a trade or something. It sounds really. It's like when I tell the story now, it sounds even weirder than it felt at the time. But all I remember is that you know they they did say to me that I'd I'd done so little work in that year for the first half that that um that there was that even if I even if I worked as hard as I possibly could for the rest of the year, there was still no way I was going to pass the the school certificate. And at that point, I think I just went, well, I don't know what I'm doing here anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. So I really just stopped going, and and I was amazed at how easy that was, you know. I remember, I remember this is we're we're in the days of, of Walkmans, you know, like this was this was nineteen. 89 and and I remember that that um you know I was already quite obsessed with music and I remember just really enjoying the feeling and also being surprised at how easy it was just to put the Walkman on and just walk out of school and keep walking you know <laughs> and there was nowhere to walk to it's like I didn't have anywhere to go you know and, yeah. and it's, it was North Sydney you know which is really a really boring place to kind of hang out in but but uh, but it was you know I felt so I felt so good because all of a sudden I was I was not at school anymore and so even just walking and listening to music seemed amazing did you feel and, a little bit badass though kind of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it was a little bit of that it was a little yeah. bit of a ming- middle finger to the establishment yeah yeah tiny a tiny middle a tiny you know tentative <laughs> tiny ten year old yeah or ten school in school, yeah, yeah, middle finger, yeah. But it, but you know, but and a lot of my musical education yeah. happened that way. I think like during that last six months, where where people kind of thought I was at school, it was me just kind of walking around and listening to the Walkman and absorbing, yeah, absorbing sound. Yeah. So we've got a track to take soon, and it's by a band called Severed Heads. Mm. So was this was this one of those bands from that time? Yeah, this, I think this is very very timely. I'm really glad that this got to me at this particular particular point or a little little later. Um, this is yeah, it's from an album that came out in in 1990. It's called Rotary for success. If you don't know Severed Heads, I mean, they're, they're, they're an extraordinary kind of, they're, they're a one-of-a-kind sort of band, you know, a band which is really just one person. It's, it's, it's um, a fellow called Tom, Tom Illard, um, S- S- Sydney-based, made, made incredible electronic music, really weird, willful stuff, which also was, was you know, um, very popular in, in clubs at the time, you know, great, great dance music produced by, by Robert Rasick. Um, yeah, there's not. There, I don't know that, that there's, there's anyone. There's been anyone like him before, before or since. He's almost like our, like our, you know, Brian Eno and New Order rolled rolled, rolled into one. Wow, that's yeah. a that's a compliment. If uh, anyone knows this guy, can you just like forward that compliment from Craig Shifton to him? Yeah, the yeah. guy from the Severed Heads. Severed, <laughs> Severed, Severed Heads. Yeah, I really, I really, you know, I loved, I love, I love how how you know compulsive and exciting the music was, but also how mysterious and strange his vocals were. You know, mm. I, I still don't know, you know, what a lot of this stuff is about yeah. to this day. I guess, I mean, you know, this probably sounds really grand and it does in my head certainly but do you think that music to an extent saved you because if you were you know not knowing what to do next and you're in your t- did music kind of sweep in and give you a purpose or did that happen later I think that's yeah I mean if it did that happened a lot later you know because I had no like at that time I had no conception of the idea that you know that, that talking or thinking about music could be my job or even a job you know I didn't I, <laughs> yeah. didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't wasn't thinking it's not wasn't a uni course like that's that for sure yeah. yeah 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 I think that's that that came came much later and I almost had to you know had to go about it in a, in a roundabout sort of way to 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 get there but um but yeah it's you know I'm, I'm if, if that happened I'm glad it did so then what did you do next could I ask yeah, sure. I well, I, I worked. I I did a really boring job for about two years, you know, um, because I sort of got the had the idea that that's what you do. So I, so I, I worked uh, at a at a, um, a barrister's 
chambers, you know, like like as a, an assistant to a legal clerk, which um which sounds boring, but already fancier than it actually was. It was really just me like wearing a suit and pushing a trolley up and down <laughs> Martin Place with you know full of legal documents and things. I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and again, like the Walkman was on, you know, it was kind of an excuse to listen to music while doing an incredibly menial job. But I think also like like in a weird way, I thought I was like cool or grown up or something. It's and and the only reason I mention that is I do remember this really watershed moment where where um. Uh, an old art teacher of mine, kind of, you know, one of the things that one of the few things I did enjoy at school, stopped me in the in the street one day while while I, he sort of spotted me there in Martin Place with my, my trolley and my suit, and um and you know I took my headphones off to say hi to him. He's he's a, he's a cantankerous sort of guy, um American. Uh, yeah, I just he, he looked at me and, and he said he said can I, can I swear? No, uh, no. Is it an F? Is it an F word? Yeah, it's the F word. Language warning. Turn your radio down if there's kids in the car. He said, go ahead. He said. <laughs> What the, you know, I was like, oh, hi, hi, Arthur. He said, what the fuck are you doing? And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I said, well, you know, I was totally floored. I was expecting just a, just a, a polite hello. He, <laughs> said, he, he looked at me and he said, he looked at you, pointed, pointed at my suit. He was like, all this, you know, fancy get up for a menial fucking task. You know, what are you like? <laughs> I was like, you know what? Like, like I thought about it all, all that afternoon. I was thinking, you know what? This is really boring and I really am wasting my time doing this. <laughs> so, uh, so after that, I, I enrolled myself in art school and I did that for, for three years at the National Art School. Uh, I made a lot of giant rabbits. Um, and uh, yeah, and learn a little bit about art history, and, and you know, and, and then I was off. And here you got seven heads mm. on FBI. On FBI 94.5, that's Seven Heads, brought in by my guest today, Craig Shifton, who I've had a very pleasant time talking to. It's been so much fun. Ash. Yeah. Thank you. I really like your commitment to exclamation marks. Because like <laughs> not just with the du- ducks, but also um, also when you were saying the name of my second book. Hey, you really, you, Nietzsche. You always, yeah. <laughs> hey. <laughs>